0: I'd like to call to order the Wednesday, March sixteenth, twenty twenty-two meeting of the Northborough southboro Regional School Committee. The first order of business is our public hearing on the fiscal year twenty twenty-three budget. Start Thank you, to the Superintendent.
1: Thank you. Um, the Northboro-Southboro Regional School Committee is committed to providing an exceptional educational experience for all students in a cost-effective manner. The district believes that strong partnerships with parents, the community, and the town government are essential in developing a fiscally responsible and educationally sound school budget. The school leadership team and committee utilizes its budget priorities, the strategic objectives outlined in the district's strategic plan, vision 2026, and the mission and vision of the district as guiding principles throughout the budget process. Develop a budget that supports an exceptional education for all students. Copies of the Fiscal Year 2023 School Committee voted and approved line-item budgets are available online at the Central Office, <coughs> Northborough Town Offices, and Southborough Town Offices. And this evening, Rebecca Pellegrino will be providing a total of the FY23 budget subcategories by function classification as part of the public hearing process.
2: Um, Good evening. So, for regular education, we have function classification administration, which is the series 1000. This includes fiscal audit, treasurer's office, school committee, superintendent, assistant superintendent, district wide administration, business and finance, human resources, legal services, and administrative technology for a total of $712,689. The function classification instruction for the Series 2000 includes supervision, department heads, instructional technology, leadership and training, principal's office, administrative technology and support for the school, teacher salaries, teacher specialist salaries, instructional coordinators, substitutes, instructional assistants, library and media salaries, distance learning and online coursework professional development for leadership, teacher, instructional staff, and also substitutes, textbooks, instructional materials, other instructional materials, instructional equipment, general supplies, instructional hardware devices, instructional hardware, all other, instructional software, and other instructional materials and guidance services for a total of 12 million $174,498. Function Classification Other Student Services, the Series 3000, includes health services, transportation, both contracted and other, athletics, and other student activities for a total of $2,187,175. Function Classification, Operation and Maintenance of Buildings Series 4000 includes custodial services and supplies, heating, electricity, telephone, gasoline, water sewer, maintenance of grounds and buildings, maintenance of equipment, technology infrastructure, maintenance and support, both salaries and all other, for a total of 1988000 Function Classification Benefits and Fixed Charges, the Series 5000, includes Employee Retirement Program, OPEB, insurance, both health insurance, retirees health insurance, life insurance, Medicare, workers' compensation, unemployment compensation, (coughs) comprehensive liability insurance, and rentals and leases for a total of $4 million. $367,478. Programs with other school districts, the series 9,000 includes school choice and charter schools for a total of 200,000. And for our regular day program total, it is 21,630,311 dollars, or a 2.89% increase over fiscal year 2022. For special education, that includes Function Classification Administration Series 1000, including Legal Services and Administrative Technology for 19,000. Function Classification uh, Instruction, the Series 2000, includes Supervision, the Director of Student Support Services, Assistant Directors of Student Support Services, Assistant to Special Education, office salaries supplies dues and miscellaneous expenses and travel instruction which is teacher salaries teacher substitutes tutor home and hospital and in school aba extended year transition services extended day aid salaries consultants community life skills supplies professional development textbooks Instructional Technology and Psychological Services for a total of $2,968,858. Function Classification Other Student Services, the Series 3000, includes Health Services and Transportation for a total of $334,767. Function Classification Operation and Maintenance of Buildings, Series 4000, includes maintenance of equipment for special education, $2,100. Function Classification Fixed Charges, the Series 5000, includes rentals and leases and contractual obligations, that is $1,595. And then finally, Function Classification Programs with other school districts, Series 9,000, includes tuition out and tuition out collaboratives for a total of $770,450. The total special education portion of the budget is $4,096,770, or a 3.61 percent increase over fiscal year 2022. In total, the fiscal year 2023 operational budget is $25,000,000. $727,081, and this represents an overall increase of $750,378, or a 3.0% increase over fiscal year 2022.
0: Becky? At this point, I'd like to open it up to public comment um, on the fiscal 2023 budget. Seeing none, uh, that, I believe, closes our public hearing on the fiscal 23 budget, and we'll move on to our regular agenda, starting with public comment. Do we have any comment from anyone? Seeing none, we'll move on to action on minutes. Um, I'd like to entertain a proposal to approve the minutes of the open meeting of February 16th, 2022. So moved. Second. <coughs> moved by Dan, seconded by Chris. <coughs> any comments? Comments, questions? All in favor? That is unanimous. Educational policy, we have a DECA trip to approve.
1: So we had a very successful DECA event this past weekend and um, as a result um, we have students who are going on to the next stage of, of the DECA um, experience. So so that, then I don't know if you want to share a little
3: bit of details around the next steps. Sure. Um, as you probably know, our DECA program is very uh, successful. It's one of our uh, strongest programs and, um, and a real uh, point of pride for us here at the school. And so 20 of our students have qualified for, for uh, the national conference in Atlanta. Um, and that conference takes place on Saturday, April 23rd and finishes on Tuesday, April 25th. We have two, um, two chaperones going. Um, and I apologize that these details were not uh, included in the packet over the weekend and had to be added late. Um, but the, um, it should be, a, a, as I understand it, it's a really uh, exciting opportunity for, for students and a chance for them to show up on, um, on the national stage. Uh, our kids did very well over the weekend in Boston. We send one of the largest contingents um, in Massachusetts DECA to that conference. And so it's not a surprise that we have lots of students uh, advancing through but it's nonetheless something we're really excited about and proud of
0: with that I'll entertain a, a motion to approve Decker's overnight field trip to the International Career Development Conference April 23rd to 27th 2022 in Atlanta
4: so moved
5: second
0: moved by Dan. Seconded by Karen <coughs> any questions comments All in favor? That is unanimous. Thank you. Congratulations to all the the DECA winners. That's quite a feat. It is, yeah. Uh, At this point, out of an abundance of caution, as they say, we are going to lose a quorum. Um, One of our members has to leave a little later, so with the will of the committee, I'd like to move up items um, E, 4, 5, and 6, which are the only other items that require a vote tonight. Uh,
1: Mr. Desmond, also um, D, or, um, approval of grants and donations is the only other item that requires a vote.
0: Okay. <clears throat> I think we'll be safe on that one. But, uh, so it's okay if we move up those items yep. under E? Yeah. Yes. All right. <clears throat> um, Becky, if you don't mind, could we start with? monthly general fund expenditure?
2: Absolutely, so we have four months remaining in fiscal year 2022, and we are working to clean up any outstanding purchase orders and also make um, projections for any funds at, that will be needed at the end of the school year. Um, as you can see, as of February 28, 2022, we had $295,598 remaining on the bottom line or 1.18%. Um, In comparison to the same time last year, we had $556,219, or 2.3 percent remaining. Um, The two line items that we're really watching closely are our electricity and our heating line items. Um, We are seeing a higher usage um, rate at this time. However, I we do think that our projections um, are good for the remainder of the year and um, we're hopeful that um, This nice weather will um, maybe help us out with our heating costs. Um, so at this time, I don't have any concerns with the budget
6: okay. <coughs> Heating costs are locked in
2: The rate is but it, if we're using You're using more, more obviously, yes. but we're not yes uh, exactly of fluctuations exactly
0: Okay, and do I hear a motion to approve the Fiscal 22 Budget Monthly General Fund expenditure Report as of February 28, 2022 until audited? So moved. Second. Moved by Chris, seconded by Dan. Any questions? All in favor? That is unanimous. Thank you, Becky.
2: Statement of revenue? Okay. Uh, so in February, we did receive the March 1st assessments from both um, North and South um, You'll also notice that we did receive our first um, regional transportation um, funds uh, from the state however um, it is right now coming in at 80 percent of the reimbursement rate versus the 91 to 92 percent that had originally been um, proposed um, mars is working with the legislative delegation to try to file an amendment to increase that amount um, you'll also notice that we've revised our projections for athletic receipts um, our gate receipts for the winter were um, dramatically um, impacted um, due to the surge that we had over the holidays. Um, so we have also seen a decrease in the number of um, student athletes just due to the um, lower enrollment numbers. Um, so we are working with um, Mike Massarino and Susan Baburns to look at any anticipated expenses for the remainder of the year. Um, however, we are, we did start the fiscal year with a fund balance just shy of $80,000. So I am confident that if um, these numbers do come in, that we will be able to absorb um, any changes.
0: Okay. <coughs> any questions? <All> right. <clears throat> I'll entertain a motion to approve the statement of revenue as of February 28, 2022 until audited.
4: Mm, so moved.
7: Second.
0: Okay. By Dan, seconded by Sean. All in favor? That is unanimous. Just the audit
1: report? Yes, so on uh, March 7th, the Regional Audit Subcommittee met with the auditors to um, receive the annual audit. And um, Mr. Cavino and Mr. Bucko were present as the subcommittee members. And we um, had a very positive uh, auditing, <coughs> um, auditing report. Um, and Chris, I don't know if you want to speak to some of the highlights. I do.
8: Um, so the, essentially the audit was so clean that the auditor did not feel that the district merited any kind of management letter whatsoever. Um, essentially this is uh, due to the hard work of uh, the staff in our, on our finance team. It's, it's, it's amazing. And they, they had nothing but positive feedback to provide uh, about their performance. There were a couple things that were were kind of a little interesting and a little stunning and um, it has nothing really to do with the management of the district per se, but it definitely relates to OPEB and the amount of money that we should be placing into OPEB. Um, The OPEB liability grew from $35 million at the end of 2019 to about $46 million at the end of 2021. And right now, I might be getting the numbers a little off, but right now, those benefits constitute less than 1% of our budget, but by 2030, if nothing is done about it, they could constitute upwards of 7% of the district's total budget. And um, essentially, what we need to do at some point here, and the policy subcommittee needs to look at, is developing some kind of policy where we have a, I don't want to use the word generous, but a significant amount of money annually is put into OPEB to avoid having a, essentially hitting a wall where it will significantly impact our ability to operate the school. So the auditor, um, I believe the actuary, is actually going to send us some sample policies from other school districts. Our district is funded on the low side, of the very low side of average. not all districts are particularly well-funded, but ours is, even though we've been making small contributions, it's not particularly, um, it's not gonna be enough in the end. So uh, there was an inquiry made about anything being done at the state level to reduce this burden on municipalities and local school districts. And we were told that uh, it, it has gone to committee several times, but nothing of any value has ever come out of it. So we do have to figure out a way to make sure we're able to maintain the school and um, the services, that, the amazing services that the school is able to provide to uh, the students of our district. And uh, it's going to definitely require some, some work on our end going forward. So that's really, that's really about it. Thank you.
1: So I just want to echo um, your remarks. You know, the financial team at the central office under um, Becky's leadership they have done an outstanding job And we've also added an accountant, Sonny Cox, who's been um, a great addition to the team and has really been a value add in terms of the products and the work in the central office. Um, So I just want to compliment Becky and the team and all the hard work. It's greatly appreciated. Yes, thank you.
4: I think probably most people would fear an audit, but not. <laughs> <laughs> not well, still some fear. <laughs> <laughs> We're
2: actually starting one for our end of year report, just because uh, we love them so much. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well done.
0: So we need to vote to accept. Um, I guess I'll entertain a motion to accept the audit report for the year ended June 30, 2021.
4: So moved. Second.
0: So moved by Chris. Seconded by Dan. All in favor. That's unanimous. Congratulations, Becky and Jean. Yeah, good job. Okay, I think that brings us back to new business the COVID-19
7: update. I think it's kind of ironic that we call this new business. <laughs> <laughs> That's an excellent point. <laughs> yeah. Good one. I'm um, <laughs> Maybe <you> he <laughs> does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> nice to see all of you. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, since the last time we met we masks have become optional on February 28th things seem to be going well as far as I can tell yep. and mr Bennon could probably give us more details on that in the past two weeks we've had three cases at the high school each week um, first week unrelated last week there was a possibility of some um, transmission that happened at an extracurricular activity so we did do some modified contact tracing notified the students and the families and there was no further spread from those three cases Um, daily attendance percentage is what we've been monitoring with the mat and um, at the high school they've been just around 94% each week for the past four four weeks so there's been no significant change since removing the masks and really I think that's it for my update things are
8: Looking good. So I'm open to any questions. Chris? Yep. That's the best COVID update <laughs> I've <laughs> heard in months. I'm sure. So thank you very much for your hard work. And um, I'm sure Mr. Bevan can speak to the fact that many of the students are comfortable wearing masks if they choose and not wearing masks if that's what they choose. And uh, are eager to, again, to see and happy to see people's faces.
3: Yeah, that's been my experience. I, um, we have had no instant, incidents that I'm aware of, of teasing or any conflict of any kind. Um, I think kids who choose to wear masks, I do oftentimes. Sometimes I, you know, I take it down. And uh, it, it is something that you know people are used to and it's accepted. And I think actually Lindsay would probably know more. I, I think we had a higher percentage on the first day and the first hours and it kind of changed and it fluctuated as people became more. Um, you know, more comfortable, so I don't know what your sense is.
5: Yeah, no, I mean, like, I'm a little sick you can hear now, <laughs> so I've been wearing my mask a little bit at school, and, I mean, I feel like no one questions it or, like, looks at me weird. I mean, there's, in all my classes, I think at least maybe five or a little less have been wearing them, and really no one questions it. A lot of teachers still wear them, so I feel like it's so comfortable, and, yeah, I haven't heard anything bad, so I would say it's kind of annoying.
6: Yeah, it was
3: a welcome change that uh, people were excited about, and uh, we've slipped right back into, you know, school as usual. And, um, you know, Mary Ellen did such a wonderful job steering us through this whole mm-hmm. experience, not to say that it's over, but uh, I, it was a major change for us to, to change the masking policy, and uh, it's been well-received, as you might imagine.
7: And as you can imagine, with the masks come off, there's um, respiratory illnesses, and GI bugs, and all the other things that we've missed for the past two years um, have resurfaced. But we've been testing, people have been testing, and wearing masks if they're symptomatic. So there are times when people just optionally need to wear masks, too.
4: So that's actually an interesting point. And, and, you know, in, in your experience, you know, so if Uh, If people are um, hermetically sealed and and nothing is ever going to get to them, um, does that affect their immune system? It doesn't have the ability to fight things. I mean, do we think that could play a role um, of, you know, where we've been for two years and now you know, people's systems maybe haven't been as strong. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure I'm if asking. it's as
7: strong, but they haven't been exposed, right? Yes. We've had all the mitigation, so there wasn't that exposure. And now the exposure is there because yeah. we're sitting here beside each other. And if Becky gets sick tomorrow, then I probably was exposed. So I think that um, we have the exposure now. Um, it's not that those things weren't around last year, we were just keeping them to ourselves.
4: Hmm. So, so no, no effect have, on the immune system that you know of for for being, you know, not having anything be able to get to you?
7: I mean, I don't know. I couldn't answer you by research-wise, but we will learn a lot in the next few years. Yeah, I think there's a lot to learn. I think that we're seeing our pediatrician offices are seeing normal strep cases, which they haven't seen. Um, we're seeing some flu still. So just regular, lots of GI bugs going around, but... Just those regular things well, that we see typically on a typical year
4: hopefully the staff is getting a, a bit of a break after two years of yeah. you know constantly on call so I know it's been a tough time for your, your industry but the heroic uh, efforts by those who are in the medical profession so thank you
7: yes it's a totally different atmosphere for the nurses so it's <coughs> Can focus on those normal things. They're excited to do screenings, which you'll never hear ever <laughs> in another year. This will be the only year that people are like, That's yes, funny. let's do our <laughs>
6: screenings. So, yeah.
7: so getting back to normal, which is nice.
6: Mm-hmm. And I also ask, like, uh, how the staff is doing, and if our, our absent rates um, decreased or uh, you know during the Omicron thing,
3: staffing was a challenge, and um, it's still remain the same or. You know, if there's a major shift, I haven't noticed a major shift. Yeah, we saw a bit of a, an uptick at, during Omicron, but it wasn't as bad as we were really prepared for. We had, had really internally done some preparations in case we saw 10, 12, 15 people out, and that just didn't, didn't come to pass. And so I think we, in the same way uh, that student absences are about what they would be at in, in March, I think that's probably where our staff absences are as well.
0: Thank you. Right. <clears throat> Thank you, Mary Ellen. That was pretty much the COVID update we've been waiting for. So. <laughs> uh, next up is legislative
1: update. So just a quick update. Um, we continue to advocate for circuit breaker um, reimbursement, making sure that is um, reimbursed at an appropriate level with the FY23 budget. Uh, regional uh, transportation reimbursement is another area we continue to advocate the upcoming budget and also um, through the budget process chapter 70 reimbursement so the, the house of ways and means um, has advocated that increasing the minimum local aid per student of 30 dollars be increased to 100 dollars as a result of inflationary um, impacts so obviously we'll advocate for that um, that would have an impact on our overall regional <coughs> budget moving forward those are the three updates that um, we continue to advocate for.
0: Okay. <coughs> Should we be writing letters?
1: Yes, yeah, so there are, so I have been um, looking for some model letters. That doesn't seem to be a r- real organization yet, but I, um, through MARS, Mass Association Regional Schools, we've been advocating, um, and we, we could draft our, our own letter if that is the world Committee, I'd be happy to do that. <coughs>
0: I always like letters, but
6: yeah. <laughs> Sean? I just have a question. I know MTA has been pushing recently this, like, early retirement bill,
1: but I don't, and I don't know if it's even going to make it out of committee or and if that would affect us at all. No, I think that um, uh, I haven't been following that. I know that there was a, a push for an early retirement incentive. Yeah. Um, but it would have to be voted by the, the state and also approved by the, the local committees That's to what they make got. sure okay of it is right for a committee Um, and I don't think that's I haven't heard much about it lately and I think the window has passed there was a flurry at the end of last week and I didn't know where that ended okay I can I can check in on that
6: okay
0: Okay. next up is professional development overview
1: so Dr. Reinhorn and the Professional Development Committee has been working hard on planning for Monday, March 21st, our District Professional Development Day, and she's going to provide an overview of what teachers will experience.
9: So they are very quick slides if you want to even just turn, but I hate having you guys having to move, although it doesn't seem like it's coming up. Library TV.
1: Kim, are you able to help project
3: Perhaps.
9: That's what I was doing. I, c- I can do it without it as well. Can you add
1: that?
9: Um, <laughs> I could sing it. <laughs> <laughs> I really have some feelings about our PD plans, but...
10: To yeah. Do you want me to,
9: to speak to it? Yeah, I'll just, it's fine, Kim. Thank you. Um, so, um, first I just want to thank the Professional Development Committee, um, which has representatives from um, each of the schools and the administrative team who have been working together um, to prepare for our District PD Day on March 21st since um, starting in the fall. Um, it takes a lot of time. This professional development day is a district professional development day next Monday. So we work across all 10 schools um, to put this together. Also want to thank many of the educators who are offering um, sessions or leading sessions um, that are, um, well, I'll keep going. But so they are, in some cases, rather than engaging in learning, they're leading learning. That's another really important piece of the day. So thank you to those folks. Um, Our professional development offerings are all aligned to Vision 2026, our strategic plan um, and our school improvement plans. And at our district professional development days, the way it's organized is that there is that alignment, but then within that, educators have choice um, where they are looking at the offerings. In some cases, they're proposing offerings and then saying what fits with the work of my school, with the work of my department, with what I'm focusing on personally, or in some cases might be PDPs, professional development points that they need for their own certification or things like that. Um, The format is that we have two different types of offerings. We have workshops, which where we have someone with some degree of expertise in that area who's leading a workshop for the day, or we have partnerships, which Our collaborations among our educators where they have set a learning goal and um, and outcomes that they want to accomplish um, as a group of educators collaborating together during that day. Um, What I'd love to do is just share with you a few of the offerings just to give you a sampling of some of the types of things that are going on. Um, In relation to empowering learners, which is one of our strategic objectives, There's um, an outside preventer from Novak Consulting, who's going to be doing a workshop on universal design for learning. Um, There's uh, Julie Doyle, who's our director of digital learning and and instructional technology. I always mess up her title. Um, (laughs) Is working together with someone from the Department of Education and doing work with educators on our digital literacy and computer science standards um, and digging deeper into those. Uh, Another outside presenter, Dot Lucci, who has done a lot of consulting work with the district is presenting on executive function skills, and that is focusing on secondary. Mm -hmm. So the, like where universal design for learning is a K through 12 offering, the executive functioning functioning is a grade five through 12 so that we could really focus more, and actually it's mostly middle and high school teachers, focus Mm -hmm. more on that sort of developmental range and uh, one last example from empowering learners our world language teachers are engaging um, grades 6 through 12 in digging deeper into the frameworks that came out during the pandemic um, and looking at the implications um, for their courses and their program overall in the area of equity of opportunity Uh, The Anti-Defamation League, which has been working with us in our World of Difference program, which you've heard a little bit about, they offered a PD in the fall for all educators. And this is kind of the next level of work for those who are opting into it um, about, uh, the title is Transformative Approaches to Social and Racial Justice in Our Schools. Um, There's a group of our own educators offering a workshop on Zaretta Hammond's Master Moves whole set of um, partnerships around continuing our work around windows and mirrors and um, analyzing our own units of studies and resources um, to see what windows and mirrors we're offering for our students. Um, And that in the area of art is um, we have um, an outside presenter working with all of our art teachers using ceramics um, and intersecting with honoring cultures. Um, so that's, and mindfulness. There's like a few things going on there. Um, there's work on IEPs and the writing of, of IEPs. There's um, workshops for our educational support professionals, our ESPs. Um, and then there is a partnership um, about post-secondary pathways, which um, I think our, our own Karen Ayres is gonna be helping with and working together with our guidance department. Um, In the area of healthy and balanced learners, Dr. Chris Willard is going to be doing a workshop. um, And all of these are day-long opportunities. So people are choosing one thing and engaging in it for the day. And that is about mindful resilience and post-traumatic growth beyond the COVID crisis. So really digging into both the adult SEL and mindfulness and making connections for our students. Um, We also have mental health first aid, which is happening, which Shrewsbury Youth and Family Services is providing, um, mental health 101. Um, Our nurses are all gathering to talk about not COVID, (laughs) 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 other work that they need to do together. Um, Occupational therapists are gathering and and doing work together and aligning their practices. Our speech and language pathologists have a group that are coming together. we have a group that are looking at curriculum and instruction for students with severe special needs. And and there are more. Um, wide variety of offerings um, and people, you know, selecting from those. Um, and I'm happy to answer questions.
4: Yes. So who picks those? Meaning, do you pick them? Um, and and how are they paid for? Are some of them volunteers?
9: Great, great question. So, Part of the reason the process starts in the fall is because there's a lot of back and forth between the Professional and Development Committee and then we open up and, and the way we did it this year is we provided some ideas based on the strategic plan of types of offerings that people might be interested in and the central office and the teaching and learning team started to generate ideas that would align with our strategic plan, then teachers and educators throughout the district could put in proposals then the professional development committee and the administrative team review the proposals um, and then they go back out and um with you know accepting and in some cases and we give feedback on the proposals and in some cases ask for some adjustments Um, and then there the outside presenters um, Sometimes they're recommended by a specific department, like the art department came to us and said, we have this person, they bring us their bio, the sort of agenda of what they're planning to do. In other cases, it came more from central office where we said, you know, Anti-Defamation League, we've been working with them and we went to them and said, what would be a possibility of the next level of learning? And then like wrote a web, worked together with them. So it's a variety of different things going on at once. and it's a representative group in the Professional Development Committee that's helping to review the proposals.
4: Okay, and then there's a certain amount of money allotted each year for this that you can spend?
9: Yes, and um, this year, that is generally all coming out of grants. So there are a few of the items that are outside presenters that are actually from being paid for from the ESSER grants um, in relation to social-emotional learning, which is from ESSER two. And I think the
2: executive functioning is
9: from ESSER R three. S R three. So the executive functioning is from S R three, and then some of them are from Title two and from Title four um, grants, um, and that's money that we set aside. You know, a, a sort of amount of money, and then we look at the different options and work within that budget.
4: Great. Thank you.
9: Sure.
0: What happens after this day? I mean, you have. Whole bunch of topics here. Everybody can only go to one. Yeah. So, I mean, it seems like you could run this whole program for a week, and you still can't go to probably half of what you might want to. So, yeah, <coughs> yeah, it's a great. What question. happens like after the 21st to all these ideas?
9: So, uh, well, one thing is that we um, have developed a feedback form so that we can hear from people um, that everyone will fill out at the end of the day to first of all get feedback on what they experienced, feedback on the offerings that they had. And feedback on what they would like to engage in in the future. Um, some of these things are topics that we then, like executive functioning is one that is, and, and universal design for learning are related to, to bigger topics in our strategic plan where we are always thinking about what's the long game and the pathway. And this is a first experience, but who else is gonna need this type of learning and how are we gonna do that? So that's kind of an ongoing conversation of, you know, um, does it go become part of school-based professional development in the future? Um, it, it varies from topic to topic, kind of where that goes, but okay. it's definitely part of the conversation. Great. Anything else? All
0: right, thank you, Stephanie, appreciate that. <coughs> Next is approval of the donation.
1: Yes. So we learned, I believe, um, last week that the Northboro-Southboro Regional School District was awarded a grant from the School Nutrition Equipment Assistance uh, Program. Diane Kofer, who is the food services manager, um, wrote the grant in October and um, secured for the district $5,047. And that specifically is to replace um, equipment in the kitchen and as you can imagine, there are many expensive pieces of equipment in our, um, in our cafeteria. And we also just learned this week that um, the regional school district also secured a $20,000 equipment grant as well. So um significant amount of money. And just want to compliment Diane Culper for pursuing this and um, securing <coughs> the it's, it's greatly appreciated and needed.
0: Okay, so for tonight, it's 5,047 forty-seven
1: four. Yeah, I wanted to, to save the 20,000 for April. <laughs> <laughs> it's we found out um, yesterday, I
10: think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a question. Um, in terms of the equipment, is there equipment to wash all of the trays, which had been an issue a couple, pre-COVID?
1: Yes, yeah, so there is equipment to um, wash the trays, and we are getting back to... Uh, thinking about when is the right time to actually implement that. The prices of commodities and um, trays and <clears> so, <throat> so forth has been outrageous, so <coughs> we need to get back to that as soon as possible because mm. we can't afford to, to buy trays and, you know, and...
10: Can't afford to...
1: Paper cups. To, to landfill. Really expensive, or mm-hmm. for the environment. So yes, we are getting back to that.
10: It's good news, thank you.
0: <clears throat> okay, so I guess we need a motion to approve grant from the school nutrition equipment assistant program in the amount of $5,047 to fund a double door freezer I believe
4: so moved
5: second
0: Moved by Dan second by Karen any more questions all in favor that is unanimous next up is the school choice discussion
1: So this evening I thought I would present information around school choice, It's the annual presentation. Um, My thinking is that tonight I'll present the information, next uh, meeting we'll discuss and then we have to, the committee will have to vote whether it wants to opt out of school choice by June first so at the May meeting actually take a vote. So for all intents and purposes, this presentation is just informational. Okay. (laughs) So um, school choice um, has been in place in the Commonwealth for um, several decades since 1991, and it's governed by um, Mass General Law, Chapter 76, uh, Section 12B. And again, allows a parent or guardian to enroll um, his or her child in a school district other than the district in which the, the child lives. Um, and then it, it with um, Ed reform in 1993, the law was amended um, and school districts in Massachusetts are presumed to participate in and to admit non-resident uh, students through school choice unless districts choose and vote to opt out of the school choice program. So, again, a, a receiving district can withdraw from school choice only if a school committee holds a public hearing uh, on this issue and then votes to withdraw. And that needs to take place before June 4th. The school choice tuition has not changed from prior years. It, it is five thousand dollars for a regular education student, and seven thousand five hundred dollars for a student who receives special education services. And just as a comparison, the per pupil expenditure for the North Pro-South Pro South Regional School District for FY twenty was seventeen thousand nine hundred and two dollars. School committees can specify uh, the schools. Obviously, Algonquin there's one school. Um, but the grade level, so if we had um, declining enrollment in a specific grade level, we could open seats in that specific grade level. Um, And then, um, you know, obviously we cannot discriminate, Um, so non-discrimination policy exists when we're thinking about accepting students. And basically, if there are more um, students who apply for the seats that we've opened, then it is by lottery. And again, I think that advantages of um, being a school choice district is that a district does receive $5,000 per pupil. It is a means for many school systems to, to generate revenue. Um, it allows for districts to um, accommodate <coughs> declining enrollment. Um, and it's also year to year decision. So any one decision the regional school committee would make is a four year decision versus a pre-K through 12 system where it could be potentially a 12-year decision. Um, The disadvantages are the FY uh, 2020 per pupil expenditure is far greater than the dollars we receive in terms of school choice students. Acceptance is by lottery, um, which means that, um, again, we we can't, depending on the student need, um, the expense to educate the child could be significant. Um, Once a child is accepted, The district is responsible for educating that child through grade 12 or age 22, depending on the needs of that child. And then, again, potential for a student to require significant um, resources. In districts who have entered into school choice agreements, um, it's difficult to exit um, because they rely on that revenue. Um, So that is the annual presentation. my recommendation um, stands in terms of I think at this current time it does not make sense to um, not opt out of school choice, so not allowed to have school choice. I know it's a negative, uh, but again, I'm sure the committee can discuss the pros and cons at its April meeting um, to think about what it would like to do moving forward. Okay,
4: <clears throat> Dan. So, when do you think would be a good time? Like, what would you want to see? And then you would say, yes, it is a good time.
1: I think I think the purpose of accepting school choice um, and how we're using the financial resources that um, the district is gaining from having school choice, for example, OPEP, so if you create, um, funding mechanism for OPED through accepting school choice students, then that is something I think that the school committee should entertain because at any point in time, you're not relying on that revenue stream for the operational budget to sustain. So I think that is one good example. Um, and then I think having conversations with Principal Be- Bevan, looking at man- managing and maintaining um, a, a student body and the student enrollment, and I think we're getting there. I would expect in 24 FY 24 and FY 25, when we will we anticipate declining enrollment, it might be a time for the community to consider it. But those are two examples when I would start to consider. Okay.
4: Yeah, follow up, if I may. Um, so, uh, other schools or other districts that do participate in school choice are you, are you aware of some? And then. Uh, uh, are there ones that, ex- that, say, accept one, two or three, or ones that accept a 100?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there are districts that are very targeted. They'll, they'll open up three seats in first grade, you know, mm-hmm. five seats in second grade. Um, there are other districts who have no other means of generating revenue but to open up to school choice, um, and they accept hundreds of kids, um, and it's just, their, their economic context that, that requires them to do that. Surrounding districts in our area, the Westboro's, you know, the Shrewsbury's, um, you know, they have not opened up school choice. They have not taken in school choice students at this point. I know Berlin Boylston has. Um, and maybe Chris, you can speak to, to your experience. Chris
8: no, you No, know, my experience with school choice is, um, it's, it's we, we, have the tar- we have a targeted, kind of approach, which is you know, they might open up three seats, like you said, in the freshman class, and five seats in the sophomore class. The, the, I think the bigger issue that that district is dealing with at the moment is, is it has become part of the operational budget, and they, there is a line item in their budget that um, is getting uh, lower and lower and lower over time, even though we're, we still have school choice students. Uh, the population of the school is growing, so the number of available seats is declining, and, but that operational deficit is still in the budget. Um, so there's going to become a time where that line that has money in it from school choice isn't going to be there to fund the actual operation of the school and it's gonna to have to come out of the tax base for the community, or there's gonna be some very difficult decisions that have to be made. So I can tell you that um, it's something that I think I heard at the last school committee, at berlin Boylson School Committee, um, was that they're trying to figure out how they're going to accommodate even more students from the communities due to the amount of building that's going on. And um, they know that's going to reduce school choice income, which is um, a huge source of revenue for the district. But uh, to Superintendent Martineau's point, you know, the per pupil expenditure cost, I think, at that district is somewhere around 16,000. So you're getting $5,000 for a student that you're spending $16,000 to educate.
4: Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and I guess last question then. If, if, if we were to accept, I think it would be odd to accept one, um, uh, but uh, three. So if we were to accept a very small number and we participate in the program, do you think that if we did three students, uh, would that be a significant financial impact
1: on the budget? No, um, I think it would. Again, I think we'd have to be very. I, I would recommend the committee being very specific around how that money would be used, and mm-hmm. to, you know, to benefit a program, or to benefit an unfunded liability like OPEB, or to think about creating a capital reserve. So I think if we have specific purposes for collecting that money and using it, that doesn't again create a an you know, operational um, deficit when we we can't accept students in the future. Um, you know, my, my thinking is, you know, I need to have more conversations with Principal Benman around what it would look like, what impact it would have on, on the student body. I don't think it would make a significant impact on our overall operational budget.
4: And, and to the OPEB question, because I know that, you know, we're, we're inadequate, yeah. at least we're starting. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, anyway, for next month, I would love to have that discussion of what, for instance, three, and this is all in, in deference to Mr. Um, Budka, who's not here today as well, and <laughs> he may have asked some of these questions, but what would three do, and where could we direct that um, OPEB or otherwise, and then we have a practice of a limited number, but it's, it goes to a certain fund each time.
0: Kathleen?
10: Um, I think that to To look at the difference between the reimbursement at 5k for a tick book child it's it's alarming for seven and a half k for a child with special needs because that is so quickly blown through the water i think that's where it gets very um i could see get very 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 expensive depending on who comes and we are obliged to welcome them and provide all those needs but i know the transportation alone can blow through that budget in a heartbeat
6: was a question I was going yes. to ask: If a uh, does circuit breaker, pro, um, uh, does circuit breaker apply to school choice students? So money that we might apply for. Yeah, and so Maybe this is getting into next month's discussion. Yes. I yeah, wait, so but but I
1: think if a it, if it <clears throat> student required school choice student required at out a district placement if we weren't able to meet the needs here in district, then there is a whole another mechanism in which the district of uh, the sending district would have to participate in the funding mm-hmm.
8: yeah okay. um principal bevan i guess if uh to kind of piggyback on dan's point a little bit i would be interested in knowing um and this goes along with information that's already available but um, if our class sizes could accommodate any classes that could accommodate additional students so i know um, for example, there's a certain number of students in a particular class. You know, If we're generally over the desired number of students, then I would not, you know, I think school choice would be something that shouldn't be entertained, period. Um, and I can tell you that I would only be interested in entertaining it if we have <laughs> classes that have empty seats. Mm-hmm. That's generally how a lot of districts do it, is if you have a class where you have to have a teacher there anyway mm-hmm. and the seat is empty, then you could fill that seat. Um, but again, I would definitely caution the use of that um, as part of an operational budget, oh, for great, sure. Great point. Yeah,
0: I think that's a lot easier to do in grade four, say, than in a high school where you don't know what the kid's going to want to take. I mean, we got AP classes that, you know, you can't get into. Um, well, I'm not sure that we do have that, but, you know, say we do. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a can of worms, I think. Anything else? Okay, we're looking forward to next month on that. Um, and that brings us to the superintendent's report to the committee.
1: And at this point I will turn it over to Principal Bevan for his principal report.
3: Sure. Are we able to, Joan, is the Apple T V working? Yeah, it is Okay. okay. Um, and is it a library um
8: one more thing want to plug in Okay. okay.
3: okay. So, as we are getting set up, I can just go through um, just a few updates that are, and the, we get to the photographs, that's fine. Um, the, we had our um, spring, or our, our winter, play, winter play, which was Radium Girls. Uh, I don't know if anybody was able to attend it. That happened on March 3rd and 4th, um, and then um, our students and staff presented at the Massachusetts Educational Theater Guild Festival, which was hosted here, where we brought in uh, four or five other schools and presented abbreviated forms of the play, of each play for each school. And those were big successes. Um, um, In addition to just highlighting the wonderful work of those students and that staff member, uh, Mr. Kelly, um, it's worth noting that that play uh, was written by a, a female and had a female lead. And in looking back at some of the plays that make it into the top 10 in U.S. Uh, high schools, um, that is kind of unusual. So 10 years ago, no, no none of the plays were um, written by a female and none of the plays featured even a female lead. Five years later, only one play had a female lead and none were written by a female playwright. And Radium Girls was, uh, had both of those features. It's the only one in the top 10 of American plays that has done that. I think it's evidence that here at, at the school, we're really embracing representation as, as um, you know, a core focus of this year and going forward. It's important that all of our students see themselves in uh, the art they create and the, the work they consume. So um, that's one piece. So thank you, John. I
10: think it's just at the same thing I right? do. Oh, right. I like that last statement. Right. Mm.
3: Okay. Great, thank you very much. All right, and this uh, just to show you, this is our uh, our our student um, our cast, of course, and even the clock in the background was created uh, by two of our students, and one of was our one of our female students who who was really I think the driving force behind that, which is a major part of the show. And she's one of our robotics students, so um, they did a wonderful job, and the play really was quite terrific. Um, additionally, um, and we've already covered this, um, we've had a smooth transition to optional masking. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, there it is. Okay. I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> All right. um, and, and no incidents that I am aware of. So I put that photo on there because we have students and those um, young women would have, three weeks ago, been playing ice hockey with masks and being here in school in masks. And here uh, you can see their uh, smiling faces, which was a, a a really lovely moment that was from over the weekend. And Those, of course, are members of our uh, ice hockey team who made it into the state, who are state semifinalists. They are playing at the gar- TD Garden this weekend. Um, they are playing Canton High School, um, and they um, for the state championship, Division Two state championship. And worth noting, noting they are the team is a co-op, so uh, that means that we are a combination of even though we are Algonquin, um, the Algonquin. Uh, titans here. Uh, they uh, are comprised of four, eight of our, um, of our students, four students from Hudson, one from Marlborough, two from Neshoba, and one from Clinton. So um, it's a really wonderful team who's performed really well. And we're excited to see them play at 1 o'clock um, at the Garden this weekend. Okay. And our next uh, update I'm going to bring up, Kim Honey is our, our wonderful librarian, and Joan Anderson who just helped me with our tech. Um, is another wonderful uh, asset here. And I think our maybe our most popular uh, yes. staff member is also here, <coughs> this is Parker, Parker, who is our therapy dog. Um, easily the most popular member of our staff. He's over here behind you. Um, um, and Very so long. I will leave it to you, if you want all to just right. kind of advance Thanks.
11: your slides. And Parker arrived right before school shut down in COVID. So this is his third anniversary. Um, So when um, students come to the library um, on their own, our goal is to provide them with a space in which they can set their own agenda. Um, They're given the latitude to work, to relax, or to socialize. And in addition to providing that space for academic work, Mrs. Amberson, um, Ms. Pereira, and myself um, are really working to uh, develop relationships with these students that last their whole time here in Algonquin. And therefore, hopefully opening the doors to the library so they feel comfortable um, with another adult touch point in the building if they can't get to somebody else. So we try and create a very flexible space here. Um, COVID certainly had a huge impact on our programming and use. But now that mandates have been lifted, we're excited to see that the library is being used more often and at a higher capacity. Um, We look forward to hosting a wide variety of more events, exhibits, and classes in the very near future. So before COVID struck, the library probably saw 100 students every morning. Um, We certainly have not hit that yet, but now that um, the mandates have been lifted, we see the number of students arriving here in the morning gradually um, growing, and we're up to about half that capacity. And so, as things return to these normal rhythms, we're hoping to offer Tuesday Trivia again and some other activities that we've had in the past. So, student collaboration, of course, is a dynamic aspect of learning, and the library provides the space for this to occur. Um, Through teacher collaboration and organization, students have the opportunity to work across classes. Um, but in the same subject area. So we might have a group of history or English classes down here. Um, And since they're working with kids from different classes, they get a different perspective, um, and it brings a great new dimension to the work that they're doing. They, of course, come down here hopefully to find um, answers to problems that they're trying to solve in different classes. And, of course, they utilize many of the print and online resources to complete research. And these topics we've seen from weather to disease to, you know, causes of conflict and literary analysis. And then they have the opportunity to take this research and turn it into a shared format that allows them to reach a larger audience. um, And by having this information go beyond that teacher-student exchange, students get to work on their um, their publication skills so they can consider their format, their audience, and their platform. And of course, we are constantly and consistently evaluating the collection to ensure that it supports curriculum, as well as provides a wide variety of um, books for students to enjoy on their own time and for their own enjoyment. And of course, we have Parker, who is um, most visited, um, and students make a, a, you know, part of their routine. Some kids, they fly in the same time every day. They fly in multiple times a day. Um, and it's usually a quick pat on the head and then out the door. But they all are consistently reporting that he lifts their mood. So thanks to Joanne for training him and bringing him to us. Um, and then, of course, collaboration with teachers throughout the building provides a unique opportunity for us to highlight various sections of the collection. Um, and, and sometimes a for, you know a very creative format. So when we did tic-tac-toe, um, students were able to see a variety of books that they could select for their independent reading. Um, in chemistry, we worked with heroes or villains, so they had to do a small research project and then create playing cards where their element a hero or a villain. Um, developing general lessons, so this one, you know, on the power of the index, so telling the kids, you know, that's where you can find out where everything shows up in the book, not just through the table of contents. Working with teachers, to, we have these wonderful breakout boxes. So, we created some escape rooms that they had to work with the text to get clues to solve the problems as a team to break out. Um, this week is um, math week. So, we just had Pi Day, and not this year, but last year we had some coding activities here in the library. They worked on tannagrams, um, They were able to do a lot of math focused um, activities. And of course, working on very specific research projects with um, teachers to fulfill a very specific curriculum goal. And when I was working with the um, Northborough Historical Society, I came across the original library statistics from when Algonquin was opened in 1959. So thanks to the wonderful support of the community, our collection has grown um, at a great rate. And we are very lucky to have a wide variety of resources available for our students here at Algonquin. Um, Space utilization. We aren't where we have been in the past, but we're getting there. You know, we've had, we are now at full capacity. At the beginning of the year, of course, we were only at half capacity. Um, But as of today, we've had um, 340 classes come into the space to use this main room as well as the, the side classrooms. Um one hundred and forty in our two, our computer lab and one hundred and eight different meetings throughout the year. So we're lucky in addition to this main space. We have a class two classrooms, a computer lab, a faculty workspace, as well as um, a podcast space that is now housing the radio station as well. Okay. So two hundred and six over two hundred and sixty, yeah, I'll be okay. 26,000 students have come to use this space. Um, so we are excited that as um, we are returning to normal, that these numbers are increasing and more students are finding their way here. Um, and then, of course, we're hoping that we will return to where we used to be, right? So inviting um, or hosting international speakers. Um, we are hosting virtually again this year, but um, last few years we've had them in from different parts of the world. Um, Of course, more frequent visits from the nursery school, um, after school, big group events um, that are, you know, student driven. Um, Before school activities, we're waiting for Tuesday trivia. Um, Big um, group from the freshmen more frequently and just groups of kids getting together and hanging out. And then, of course, more time with Parker. So we're very excited by the idea that kids will be able to display more work as it's produced, and of course, more collaboration. So our goals here, of course, is to support all aspects of the curriculum here Mm -hmm. at Algonquin, and make sure that we have appropriate resources to help um, close the achievement gap. So um, as more um, need for specific um, books to utilize what we have here, as well as um, the BARD system, Sora, and other state-sponsored programs. To help encourage um, reading stamina, which is directly correl- correlates to academic achievement, so the more kids like to read, Um, the easier it is for them to tackle very difficult um, and more complex reading as they go on. Embrace, um, you know, we're in the process of really going through our curriculum and making sure it's reflective of our students who are here. Um, So to make sure that they see themselves in the collection, but also they have the ability to read other um, people's experiences. Um, And, of course, continue our programming that's engaging and inclusive and expand research um, activities that really embed into our curriculum um, instead of being a side part so that kids can really see the connection between what's going on in the classroom and the need and the importance of um, doing well-vetted research. And that is that. (coughs)
3: Thank you. Thank you, Kim. (laughs)
5: Thank you, that was great. Um, it's c- certainly um, you're using the library for all, all sorts of enhancement of the school curriculum. And so I'm I'm also wondering, libraries have also really been coming in far as maker spaces and spaces to support social, emotional learning as far as creating and like puzzles <coughs> and, um, coloring and crafts, and so do you do anything like that, and do you have spaces for those?
11: Well, we have, in the past, you know, before, couldn't really share, we did have a whole section that, you know, kids could play chess, and we have, um, you know, these sticker puzzles and coloring, so we do make all that available, and the hope is as things loosen okay. up again, we will bring that all back. Okay, great. Yeah. So. Thank you.
0: I had a question about what time does the library close in the afternoon?
11: It closes at 3.
0: Is there any way to extend that? Because <clears throat> the reason I ask is like sometimes kids have to hang around for sports or something until say 4. It would be nice if they could come in here and study.
11: Well, two things. Of course it could happen, but it's a staffing issue um, because we're down to two and a half people. Um, but we have found with the change in the extension of the, the hours, um, the amount of kids who are in the library after school, because the time frame between the end of school and sports is a lot smaller.
0: Sean, mm-hmm. maybe that's something to look at. I don't know how much of an issue it still is, <clears throat> but um, like I said, it would just be nice if they could come in here when, if they have some time.
10: We did it in the past. Um, we were open till five, and I would be here with one student. 5 o'clock. Really? Mm. Mm. it's not I mean I we I still have all the statistics from when we did it max we had three or four students So.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> anything else sure. thank you thank you thank you thank you very much thank you,
3: thank you Joanna thank, you're you're partner. Welcome. thank you partner And next up, I have uh, Lisa uh, Connery is our wonderful uh, Department Head of the Guidance (coughs) Department, and she is going to provide an overview of our college and career readiness. So thank
12: you. Um, Sean asked me to join you tonight. I think there's been some conversations about the Career Center, as well as internship opportunities. And I thought before um, I shared information, about those specific questions that I might just give a quick little overview of what the college and career readiness program looks like you know in the guidance department so of course we too have goals like Kim to ensure that all students have high quality pathways to those educational and career opportunities um, it's a huge focus for us we go about accomplishing that um, by providing tiered supports so we kind of have those universal supports the information that we feel that every student should have access to and be aware of and we go about providing those supports through our guidance seminars every student is introduced to the same information in our seminars as well as our our post-secondary fair and our career days and then we have more targeted supports in our individual work with students in developing their post-secondary plan as well as the possibility of talking about internships and job shadowing opportunities for students. Now, of course, we, too, were hit by COVID. <laughs> and a lot of those opportunities haven't been available for the past couple of years. But we are really hoping um, to you know, go back to where we were and start increasing those opportunities because we had started really making a lot of very good strides in the opportunities we were providing. So the guidance seminars and the individual work is done by the guidance counselors. And so our focus each year is a little different. So for grade nine right now, we are really focusing on transition as well as some of the social emotional learning um, topics, self-awareness, growth mindset, helping students to understand how their mindset can impact their overall um, success. We talk about grit. We start introducing them to um, SMART goals, and we actually show them how to develop a SMART goal, and we have them develop an academic and a personal goal. Um, these are new topics that we started <laughs> when we um, when COVID hit, and we started doing a lot of remote presentations. We also spend t- time talking with them about, about their four-year plan as part of the f- um, course selection process. In grade 10, We shift our focus towards career exploration, and we utilize our Naviance um, College and Career Readiness program. We're currently working right now with our sophomores, and we're having them do the career assessments. So there's three different assessments that we have them take. One is the personality, which is based off the Myers-Briggs, helping them to gain a better understanding of themselves and their preferences. The career interest profiler, which is the Holland Code, and career clusters. So we really want students to start to gain a better understanding of their preferences, their interest, and how those two things come together and connect from a career or a major perspective. We have the kids do a deep dive in researching a particular career that they might be interested in, so that, we're, so that we know they know how to research a career. And a lot of the information that is in the program is also data driven by the bureau of labor um, around employment stats and everything so there's a lot there's a wealth of information in there and so we guide the students through how to access that so that they can also do some of that independent work we then look on work on resumes and interviews again long-term planning around course selections and how that might connect to a potential career or major. And forward thinking for not just the next year but maybe the next two years or the next three years Um, in grade 11 we start really focusing on research searching and researching and information gathering around opportunities for individual students now a lot of our students go off to two and four year schools but we have plenty of students who you know go off to the military or work or you know the trades And so our focus is really helping them to research the information relative to whatever program they're interested in, whether that's through Naviance or through the websites, through a college website, how do I navigate that website to find the information pertinent to what I would like to do. In grade 12, I kind of, I'm summarizing months' worth of work here and years' worth of work in about two minutes. In grade 12, we like to call it the nuts and bolts of applying. Sounds kind of simple, takes an entire semester (laughs) to move the kids through it. Um, But it's really about, you know, pulling everything together and applying to whatever the targeted program is for an individual student. And, you know, guiding parents and students towards resources related to financial aid and scholarships. And there's a lot of work that's done around decision making for students, you know. whether it's data-driven or you know personal preferences, whatever that might be. So that's a lot of the work that the counselors do. They do that work in, like I said, in the guidance seminars and then in their individual work. So the next work is really the work that has been occurring in the Career Center. And so we offer, through the Career Center, a post-secondary fair. And so annually, this last year, we only had like 90. Um, organizations join us, but typically we usually have about 120-125 colleges, vocational programs, the military comes, we have gap year programs that join us, and we open it up to um, all of our students and parents to come. They have the opportunity to meet with the representatives and um, gather information. In addition to this, we offer over 100 visits, small group visits during the school day. Um, from various, again, the same organizations that come in. It's a great opportunity for our students to be able to ask questions and just learn more about the program that they might be interested in. One thing that we had started a couple years before COVID (laughs) hit, and then we had a pause on it. um, In the past, we were doing what we called career cafes, and we would invite a speaker in, and we might have 10 or 15 students you know, come down and listen to that speaker. And I kept saying to the other, you know, counselors, like, this isn't enough. Like, we're not hitting a big enough group, a large enough group here. And I finally was able to get one of our department heads, convince one of our department heads to partner with us and do a career day. And we outreached and um, got a bunch of community members to come in and um, they went into the classroom and they spent the entire day in the classroom. So as students rotated into that class, the career speakers were there. So every student had an opportunity to hear from at least one career speaker that day. It went so well that that department head went to the other department heads and said, that went really well, you guys should try it. (laughs) And so it grew from there where we started doing, we agreed to do every other year. Four departments each year Um, will host the career day. And so we were at the point where we were having over 90 career speakers in um, right before COVID hit and they would come into the department. So if you're a student, it might be math, English, health and fitness and applied arts. And if your students in like math and English, which most of our students are those core classes, they got exposed to the career speaker in that room. And it ended up working out very, very well. And I think really we were, we wanted students to learn about specific careers in that content area, but more importantly, we really wanted them to hear people's story and understand that their education is a foundation in which they're going to build on, and they're going to continue to build on for many years. And so, the kids really enjoyed hearing the stories. Um, So, we did a lot of community outreach with the career days. When we started to do the, um, community outreach, what we were th- I was thinking about next steps. What's our next step? So now we have our career day in place. And I said, we really would be great if we could get some um, internships, maybe some shadow opportunities. Maybe there would be people who would just want to do interviews with students to talk about their work. And so as part of the form that we started sending out to the community members, we started also including that. Would you like to be a career, um, would you like to be a speaker at our career day, and here's the date. If you can't make it on that day, or would you like to do any, participate in any of these other activities? So we really started to build our career resource directory. And COVID hit. <laughs> and so we're looking, really looking forward to getting this up and started. And so we started to have a bunch of our students actually, you know, participating in internships. And these are some of the different um, organizations who were offering opportunities to our students. It's only a few. There were others. um, But they had some great opportunities, whether they were working with, you know, the Oasis um, Wealth Advisors or Central One, Chick-fil-A. Flaherty PT was great with some of our kids who were interested in the health sciences. Um, Worcester County DA, our own town offices, had a few interns that came in as well. Um, So we really are looking forward to continuing that outreach and that work to try to provide those opportunities for our students. So I know one of the things, I think, Sean, that has been kind of a topic of conversation. That's just a quick little overview of guidance. And then we'll kind of shift to a couple things that I think were of interest. And I think one of them is early college opportunities. And there's been questions about dual enrollment. And so, as I've shared with Sean, you know, we, our students, you know, can participate in dual enrollment programs, whether it's at, you know, Quincy, Mass Bay, or Framingham State. We do have one or two students maybe a year who participate. I think oftentimes what we find is that for our students, you know, they're so involved in our school that sometimes the schedules don't align. (coughs) So the schedule at the college doesn't necessarily align with our schedule, or there's transportation issues if a student can't get to and from the campus. Maybe there's courses they really want to take here as well that they've been waiting to take all along. And then it's our extracurricular offerings. So students want to be back on the campus and participating in athletics. But if we have a student who is interested in, Dual enrollment and they're asking about it, we readily share the information with them, guide them through the process of applying, you know, to the program, making sure that the courses they're taking fulfill graduation requirements and that they're on target. And we've had some students who, you know, have kind of maxed out our math curriculum, and I think that's might be where some of this um, kind of initiated from. And so, in the past, we've had students who um, enrolled in, I guess you could call it dual enrollment online Calc 3 classes to continue their math enrichment, um, you know, here at Algonquin. So, and I know we've had some conversations about the commonwealth.
3: Yeah, and I spoke with uh, our student council has approached me to ask us about enrolling in the DESE's uh, CDEP program, which is the commonwealth dual enrollment program. And I've been in contact with DESE about that. At this time it just doesn't seem like a good fit for us and nor do I, don't, I think we would really even be eligible to establish that kind of partnership um, because those programs are, are uh, really targeted at communities where uh, students don't have the kind of access to, uh, to high quality kind of high school classes, not to uh, high quality um, AP, AP courses that might give them a, a leg up going into college. And dual CDEP is a program that does allow students to start to achieve perhaps uh, halfway um, progress to an associate's degree before they leave high school, um, and usually it's with an area community college. So we are continuing to explore that. Right now, Desi has advised me that we're probably not a real good fit for that, especially if the interest that our student council members are seeking to explore is really more for this very high level Highest level math achievers to who have maxed out all of our math offerings to then take some college courses, which we would do asynchronously online.
12: Right.
10: Okay.
12: So we, and we are continuing conversations to see if there's any, you know, alternative options for those students as well. Um, at this time, we just don't have any more information to share, um, but we do, so, we're asking some questions to kind of look at it, right? Yeah. Yeah,
5: so can I just ask a yeah, question? Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess what I was also interested in is, um, you, so you have this really bustling, amazing DECA business pathway, right? And so you have this program with a Memorandum of Understanding with Nichols College where kids right. can get these credits. Okay. Well, there are also other programs, for example, in a just an English pathway, where kids can take instead of AP English, and it doesn't have to be these kids who are maxing things out. It can be just, you know, students who aren't sure what they want to do, and instead of, in their English 12 class can be um, a college level class without having it be AP. If it was an MOU with QCC or Framingham State, and those kinds of things without having it to, to be this amazingly you know, hard, maxed out all the curriculum. It's something that everyone can take so that English 12, everyone's getting, most of the kids can get three credits Um, and things like that, you know. That's more of a standard or, um, and we don't have to be, I understand like the dual enrollment part that is specifically for, kids who might be first-generation college students right. and struggling to go to college and things like that. But those types of programs where we're expanding into our other sources of curriculum, like science, instead of just the business pathway. Like what else are we doing in, the, in those specific curriculum areas? This is what I'm kind of yeah asking about. Sean
12: and I were actually just talking mm-hmm. about that <laughs> exact thing, where I was saying, you know, we probably could explore that further because I know that um, our business department does offer through Nichols College the accounting um, and they did the MOA with Nichols College for accounting. And so I had said to Sean, I said, you know, this might be like a pathway for us, Um, whether it's they're doing the accounting class, but maybe, you know, Lori Zanini and her department are doing biotech or, Innovations, or maybe there's other ways that we could go about, you know, students earning credits. You know, we need the opportunity to kind of look at that and what do those, you know, look like. And yeah, Oxbridge College,
5: Oxbridge High School is a phenomenal program with all of that. And, um, and also, you know, and I know I'm just gonna let you finish, it's just but, um. Those are the types of more of like these other opportunities. It doesn't necessarily have to be that they're going off campus right. our teachers are Adjunct teachers that have right. gotten accepted by these other colleges and are teaching those classes for credit right. as a regular part of their high school day right. um, so.
12: Right. so we're talking about that you can see under our future goals it says college you know like a college partnership um, and so you know we were talking exactly about that some of the wonderful courses that we have that we offer here where students could potentially earn right. credit for it and so I think that's an area of interest for us and now mm-hmm. we need to start exploring that but we also need to explore that in conjunction with the other departments
5: mm-hmm.
12: you know what I mean so like that we would have to involve them in that conversation Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well. <laughs> yeah. But and it's something that it. Sean and I talked about. When
3: I met with students who had brought forward this as a proposal and, and are really interested in it, some of their interests are like niche courses that we don't have enough enrollment for, let's say like Greek, we don't offer right. Greek. And so, you know, you might have an opportunity to link a kid into, um, you know, an area of community college or some type of, um, you know, an online um, experience that then we arrange for them we help, you know, we manage the expenses for and then give them some support for. So something like art history, you know, there are lots of different things that we might not be able to enroll the whole class on or we don't have anybody um, certified to teach it here. But looking at what's available out there in the, you know, locally, physically and geographically, but also online, it gives you a lot more options than ever. Mm -hmm. So these are,
5: yeah.
12: So we were just kind of put up here what some, of our, what some of our goals were around our college and career readiness. And, you know, again, coming back to reestablishing those, the work around those career days, the importance of them, that resource, the career resource directory, moving back to our work with the Corridor 9 Partnership, right? and um we really want to work hard to expand our internship opportunities and i know there's been a lot of talk about you know students going out for internship opportunities you know maybe participating in an internship um program where students are out towards the end of their senior year i think one of the first steps that we really need to take is to build you know um the internship opportunities that we have, so we have a foundation on which to begin to offer students those opportunities, and then we can continue to build on the program. Some of the, um, one of the things that we did do when we were looking at all this, we actually visited Natick High School a few years ago, before Sean was here, and looked at their um, internship, you know, program and gathered a bunch of information about it. Um, And again, we had a change in administration, and then COVID hit, and, and so it kind of has been sitting there in the wings waiting. But we did go visit them and gather all of the information to see how they were doing things, pros and cons, what they liked, what they didn't like. In addition to that, because, I mean, I really like our Career Resource Center, and I wanted it to make it more robust than it was, we went to Northeastern University and visited their Career Center to kind of see the work that they were doing with students and to get feedback from them on what they thought that we could do to better prepare our kids when they leave Algonquin. So some of the things that they actually shared with us, I thought was very interesting that we want to start to put in place, and that when we think about just our seminar offerings, one of the things they said that they really see in students is their professional communications, like they need some help around <laughs> their communication skills, and whether it's verbal, nonverbal, and written communication skills, as well as networking understanding the importance of it, you know, and developing those skills. And another thing they said they thought would be very beneficial to introduce our kids to is, um, you know, LinkedIn. And, you know, how that is utilized in um, the networking process in the career um, search process. And we were even thinking that we wouldn't mind having a LinkedIn and Algonquin Guidance LinkedIn because one of the biggest questions that we have is, How do we connect with our alum? And so we thought that might be a great opportunity for us to be able to communicate with our alum, maybe even get some of our younger alum to come back and participate in our career day or to do, you know, offering internships, whatever it is that we're looking for. So we'd like to look at that for ourselves and, you know, try to develop that alumni network. An interesting program that they had at Northeastern was, The career fellows, they actually trained students on how to work with students, whether it was developing a resume and giving feedback on a resume, whether, for us, it might be work on the Common App or an application. It might be, um, they were doing resume stuff. They were doing mock interviews with students and giving them feedback. And I thought, wow, that's fascinating. It's kind of similar to the the Algonquin Writing Center and the work that our students are doing in there with one another. Um, so we have a bunch of information on that as well, and the training and the development of that. And again, continuing to look at those partnerships that we can create for our kids to provide those opportunities for those higher-level courses and college credit. So those are all the things that, that we have information on. And then kind of uh, doing about face with COVID. <laughs> so.
4: Oh, man. Yep. So what? Great presentation. I really like the the uh, um, inclusion of LinkedIn. I think that's a great opportunity for students. The number of students um, that have uh, sent me a LinkedIn request <laughs> is interesting, and and I know them at least. So, yeah. uh, But it's cool to see, you know, their face and you know that they have a profile and that they're starting to expand that network. And so I think that's a wonderful thing you're doing. Um, it'd be great to, you know. When you have that discussion about LinkedIn and social media, uh, the the pitfalls that social media can have with your um, you know if you want to get into a college, you want to get into a certain career, there are schools, there are employers that actively look into social media, and if what you put out there is not what you want seen by a your parent, by uh, you know a school or a or a you know a, a Company, tell them. You we know, usually use your grandmother. Yeah, if or your you don't grandmother. You don't want your grandmother
12: to see it. Then <laughs> right. you Probably don't want to post so, it. So <laughs> anyway, hopefully
4: that discussion, you know, goes goes along with the, right, the you know, the value of something like uh, like a LinkedIn. So um, anyway, well done. Thank you.
5: Thanks, thanks, Lisa. Thanks yeah,
12: again. Yeah, thank you, Lisa. Great job. Thank you. Yeah. Um, a
5: question you I can... uh, yeah, I <laughs> have more question. So the career center exactly all these things are going on in the Career Center. How do kids know what's going on in the Career Center?
12: So we communicate with them mm-hmm. on what's going on in the Career Center. Um, so we utilize So like if Naviance. you have college
5: visit, people coming in, then they would know to yes. go down there and visit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
12: So we utilize Naviance and the visits are all set up. And so we show the students how to sign up for the visits. Of course, they have to get permission. So if they have an assessment, like the can't class. You know what I mean? But we'll gather information for them and let the, let the counselor know that they were going to come down um, but the whole system sends them reminders it's once they register it kicks in reminders and everything so we have a lot of kids that come down with we open it to juniors and seniors we limit the juniors and it's wide open.
3: And the physical location where the CRC is, when those happen, they they're very noticeable. It's kind of a fishbowl if, you, if you're familiar with I'll where it. I'll get to see it Monday. And so yeah, <laughs> so you'll see it, and and um, people notice when two Marines are in there talking through. And now that we're in person with those meetings, it's been really uh, a nice change and and a noticeable one for kids who may, have, you know, if you're a sophomore, you've not seen that before. Yes. So I just
10: wanted to commend you for. I always find this exciting and I think you're a wonderful leader and the conversation of grit and growth mindset in freshman is very progressive. I really admire you for that and thank you for that, yeah. thank you
6: The way you laid that out, it's a four-year It's four fall. years. It <laughs> is a It's, all. All. it's all. Yeah. I mean, and There's a lot <laughs> in a lot of deadlines and, um, yes. and, and I appreciate that. Um, I. Um, kind of would like to echo what Dan was saying about the LinkedIn and when you had resume up there I think it's more of a broad sense because I haven't seen a resume in many years paper resume you know Um, and I think um, kids more offerings about seminars would be great about their digital presence because I don't really think they do understand how that impacts and it it all connects whether it's college or jobs or or whatever it's such an important piece, and because I don't think students know how to call up people, they text or email and or shoot a LinkedIn to somebody, hoping they're going to respond. You know, so so it's it's a it expanding the all of those, yeah, or, uh, yeah. Um, all of those are really important. And and lastly, I think the in, building the um, the people involved in the internships is a great. Um, you know goal to have I think the more it doesn't even have to be during the day my son did one after school and changed Mm -hmm. his mind about no it's not environmental science for me you know I mean because you see those things talk to people during school but when you experience it it's a different offering so I think building up that and you've been hampered the last few years, so.
10: Um.
12: And I think, I think even summer opportunities are mm-hmm. nice, and yep. you know, we do share with the students repeatedly, like your social media presence is important. We even share with them stories that we've heard mm-hmm. from college admissions counselors around yep. things that they've seen and how they've rescinded admissions offers to students based on their presence on social media and the concern they might have. So we do share that with them, um, you know, so.
1: So thank you for your presentation and your leadership. And I just want to um, thank you and the guidance team in Algonquin for kind of weathering the past two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything, everything that you do has been reimagined. Great. And I think one of the positive outcomes of what we've experienced over the past couple years is that colleges have reimagined how they provide their product to the world. Mm-hmm. So, I think there are many opportunities that we can capitalize on moving forward. I also think that declining enrollment in colleges is something we can capitalize on. Yeah. And then, lastly, I'll just comment on the fact that geographically we are located in a wonderful location in central Massachusetts with a lot of high tech, biotech opportunities. And um, not only have the colleges reimagined kind of those internships, but businesses as well. And some of those internships are virtual. So I think there's a lot of exciting opportunities as a result of a very challenging time. But also just appreciate, you know, you kind of setting the stage for us to move forward.
12: Thank you. I, I was interviewed by the Harbinger and they're like, you know, they were asking me what I hoped would stay with the pandemic, and I was like, um, balance, you know? (laughs) I'm like, I'm kind of hoping that test optional for the college's stays, and they start doing, you know, continue with their holistic read of students, and we continue to encourage students to find one or two activities that they love, that they're passionate about, and, you know, really kind of dig into those, and um, she kind of laughed. So, hopefully, that's a great takeaway from the pandemic, you know? I appreciate all of your support. I just want to make one more comment. Yes, In that And more. that is <laughs> to,
5: to um, pick up on a little bit of what you've said about those offerings that may be online and so forth, and I know we're probably going to talk a little bit that, about that on Monday. Yes. And to really, I think, um, to Greg's point, of all this, these things that we've embraced and maybe can stay is to. Um, be flexible when offering kids, um, you know, maybe an online class that is more suitable for them, right? And they can come down to this lovely library and uh-huh. take it, you know? Um, so that things that don't always have to fit in their schedule like that to make them, you know, if they're interested in something else. Exactly. So, because I think kids, kids who can do it and want to do the online
12: Absolutely. should be
5: allowed to do it. Right. Yeah.
12: And I think that I think that's the key yeah. is that interest level really I think sometimes drives success in those areas too. So that's something that we have been doing. If there's offerings that you know we don't hear have here at school that a student might be interested in, whether it's like animal science class or something like that, we have been providing those opportunities to students. You know, we're so fortunate that we have so many great classes that most yeah. of our students like can't even get through the courses that we have here and they're super excited about the courses we have here but we do have students who are interested in you know different things or maybe who have slightly different needs right you know so we're, we're, we're definitely yeah. meeting them where they're at
10: <laughs>
12: for sure <laughs> and i'm looking forward to monday
10: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i am well thank you lisa well done and thank you um, thank you, for you. Yeah. Yeah. thank you that
1: concludes my proposal report. All right, continuing with the superintendent's report to the committee. Um, in your packet is the enrollment report as of March 9th, 2022, and no, no changes from last month. Also, in your packet is the FY23 FY27 capital plan, and I did. Um, Communicate to Assistant Superintendent way that he's he has at the Northborough Financial Planning Committee meeting this evening, presenting the capital plans to. I was wondering, yes. wondering where he was. I know. Leboy. Sure that people knew he was he was still working. Mm. Okay. And he, he said he said maybe I should come after that meeting. And I said I won't judge you if you don't come, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I might judge you if you come. I, don't, I don't so, go home. So, um, so we're moving forward with our capital project. And then also in your packet is the FY23 school committee approved line item budget. And then lastly, the FY23 budget booklet, which contains a wealth of information. And just want to thank Cheryl LaPray and Nancy Bissett for organizing that, as well as the financial department and Becky Pellarino for collecting all the data and and presenting a pretty thorough um, document for the community and the committee. And that concludes the superintendent's report to the committee for this month. Good. Thank you.
0: Next up is old business, starting with the athletic complex update. Sure.
1: So, um, this past Monday, we had a meeting with Yale Associates to get a sense of where they are in terms of their schematic design and the budgeting. Um, We had, I think, a a good meeting. They are very close to finalizing um, their work. Um, What we're hoping to do is um, schedule yet another regional school committee meeting. For the sole purpose of reviewing the schematic design and going over the cost estimate. The reason why it would be another meeting is because the North Road town meeting is on April 27th and our meet or 25th, 25th and our meeting is after that. So I'd like to have Gail Associates present to the committee the project and the estimated cost of that project prior to going to the town meeting. Um, once <coughs> that is done, Gale Associates will uh, present to the Northborough Town Meeting and the Southborough Town Meeting as an informational presentation. As here is the project, here is the potential cost. At the same time, my recommendation to the committee is going to be to establish a athletic complex building committee, who will then take the lead on thinking about how do we market this and how do we get community buy-in um, throughout next year and what is that timeline to move it forward for hopefully a um, annual town meeting vote from the next um, So again, the, the next uh, milestone date is presenting to the regional school committee meeting. I'll be working with uh, Mr. Desmond, I'm trying to find a date. And then we have a uh, presentations at the town meetings and then establishing the uh, building committee to kind of move this forward in more <coughs> detail.
4: With eight to nine months of winter here in the Commonwealth, is there any opportunity for an indoor uh, facility as part of that or 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 so no
1: that does not, that is not included in, in our design. Um, we're talking about um, we did ask the question of Yale associates and, and they talked about um, anywhere between thirty and fifty million dollars mm-hmm. in terms of costs.
0: think the term you used was another stratosphere so, <laughs> um,
1: so um, and I think that um, at that point, there there wasn't a will to kind of, like, venture into that. We were focused on right. kind of what we had um, in terms of. thought I'd ask. <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. You never know, we might have a, a wealthy benefactor. Windfall. Who, yes. Who might be interested in supporting mm-hmm. that type of endeavor. And, um, you know, Mr. Desmond attended the meeting with the Associates this past Monday as well. i not sure if you have any updates, sir.
0: I think you covered it pretty well. But, I mean, it, it's exciting, though. I mean, it's, you know, we got to see all the schematics, and it's, uh, it's going to be a significant upgrade. And, you know, if we can pull it all off, I think we're going to have a lot of happy people, so.
1: I think one thing that, you know, I would like to communicate to the committee and the community is that the Algonquin <coughs> Athletic Complex um, was lightly renovated in 2004 with the addition to Algonquin. The track is actually original it's 1994 so many of the um, athletic complex is several decades old, you know almost 30 years old so it is time for um, an upgrade and an improvement and it's <coughs> not whether if it's really what's the scope going to date um, there's going to be some things we have to do um, and there might be some decisions with the community about maybe expanding that scope to really think about the next generation of students and community members who access and utilize those those resources on our campus. Okay. So, just, so
6: the presentation to the town uh, meetings is just informational.
1: So Gale Associates will so I'll provide some context yeah. and then Gale Associates will will provide an overview of the schematic design and the cost estimates and there will be a QA.
6: I'm just wondering about any confusion because we come that night to vote on very specific budget items and to have an informational night with some numbers attached. But no, I, I hope we don't confuse anybody.
1: Yeah, and I think that on the on the packet and you know, Mr. Kalender probably can speak to this. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's basically presentation. It's very clear around yeah. what it is and what yeah. it's not. Yep. Yeah.
4: I don't think it'll be a problem, I didn't think yeah. it's a good opportunity. I hear you <laughs> yeah. uh but it'll be a great opportunity because people will be voting on it in the not too distant future, yeah. and you don't want to spring it on them yeah
0: exactly I mean at Southborough that's been the problem. people complain oh you well, this is the first I'm hearing of this oh, so, right whatever this Got is it.
1: so yeah
0: more or less what we're trying to
8: avoid yep. <clears throat> Makes sense.
1: so um next on the agenda is the solar update, so um <clears throat> Keith Lavoy and I have met with um, two consultants, Samoresco and another consultant, around um, putting together a proposal for us to really think about um, continued solar options as well as energy efficiency um, programs where we have more of a comprehensive plan in place. Um, So the solar study group will be convening in the next few weeks once we have those proposals and we'll be presenting that work to the solar study group, um, with the goal of really again looking at our opportunities for energy savings in the future. Okay.
4: <clears throat> and, and, and do you plan on working with Amoresco? Is that
1: so, your potentially where we're seeing what they can offer us? Okay. Um, and and um, potentially, um, they're going to do an audit for us. Um, that's what we're going. Okay. them an addresses, and they're going to come in and look at our the options that we have. Okay,
4: that's good. I mean, it's—I always, in, in, for years, i have been worried about, you know, the the solar companies that pop up and are gone. Uh, and Amoresco seems to be one that's here to stay, and it's been—it's very well run and very well managed. And um, so that uh, to that has been that's, our initial findings.
1: Okay. and they have no they don't, they use many, they work with many solar, they have no vested interest in marketing one solar firm. Yep. Um, and so far what we've learned that they are able to bring forth comprehensive um, opportunity um, mm-hmm. projects that we can move forward okay. across our 10 schools.
4: All right, thank you.
0: All right, next up is policy development or indoor distribution, now at this time. Which brings us to our second public comment. Period, sir. Anyone have anything they'd like to say? Seeing none, we'll move on to personnel distribution of the personnel report.
1: So in your packet of the personnel report, no significant changes of an appointment and a couple retirements and two resignations. And just to comment on the retirements, it will be nice to end the year uh, being able to honor those folks who've contributed to our organization. And- honor them and celebrate their work and mm-hmm. wish them well in their, their future endeavors. So. Indeed.
0: <coughs> uh, communications on at this time. Bills and payrolls are online as usual. Agenda items for next month. We have the school choice public hearing and vote. Southboro Music Association. I think that's all that's on here. Any other ideas I, are welcome.
5: I just have a question. Yep. Um, so people are, can follow online now but like can they call in and do a public like a comment is there an option for a hybrid meeting or are we not doing that anymore
0: uh not if we can help it the hybrid meetings i mean it's it's very difficult you, you know i don't know if you've ever been on the other end but it's really hard to hear <laughs> and i don't know that we, i just had
5: some questions about it from people who could not attend the specific I you see. know meeting tonight and want you know
0: so, we definitely accept emails. I mean, <clears throat> that's one way. There's, a, there's an address, you know, that goes goes to RSC at whatever the rest of it is, and mm-hmm. that goes to the chair. Um, other than that, okay, I guess that would be the best way.
5: Okay,
1: my personal right. preference, it's very difficult to try to manage,
5: yes, yes,
1: you know, two worlds a virtual world, right? And, and in right, meeting. <clears throat> so, what if? if there was an option, it would need to be very simple and not cumbersome. Um, right. not, um, I'm sure there might be something out there that we probably could explore, but I have not seen something yeah, like that is simple Yeah, w- just
5: wondering if it- so it's- because some of the town meetings are still virtual. So, and we, you know, so I think there was some confusion tonight as to if there would be that. So I'm just trying to clarify, that's all.
0: Okay. <clears throat> I get, I, my preference is either you're virtual or you're not, because, I mean, like, like Greg said, it's just really hard to manage. Yep. It's hard to hear yep. when you're doing hybrid. So,
5: and this is live streamed. Yes. Yes. yes.
0: Okay. Uh, any other agenda items for next month? Just let me know. And I believe that's it.
4: Motion sure. to adjourn. Second.
0: From by Dan. Second by Sean. Any discussion? All in favor? And we are adjourned.
10: 825. Wow. <laughs>